as long as you're doing something to stay relevant in that industry, you're already doing it. And before you know it, you'll be in it. And you won't even realize that you're already working as a data scientist. You're already getting paid. Maybe you're teaching data science and doing a whole combination of all that. But it's, it's the journey. It's the process. It's not, yes, the result on court. But what matters is falling in love with the process. Welcome everyone to the Tech Guide Podcast, where we give actual advice to those wanting to break into tech or looking for their next gig. We have Leon Spainer on the podcast today, who's currently working as a data scientist at UCLA Health. Welcome, Leon. Super, super excited to have you on today to talk a little bit more about your background. Thank you, Ryan. Happy to be here. And one thing that I love about you when we were like talking beforehand or like the form, so you're currently a data scientist at UCLA Health. But this isn't what you initially wanted to pursue. I'm curious, what did you initially want to pursue? I got to tell you the truth. I had, for the longest time, I had absolutely no idea. And I mean this wholeheartedly. I had no idea what I wanted to pursue. And I hated having to ask that question from time to time again and not having an answer for it. But, but I definitely have an answer for it now. Yeah. So, yeah. So what did you want to pursue then? Coming into UCLA, there weren't at the time in the early 2000s, there weren't a lot of options as far as what majors were concerned, unless you're going into STEM. And for me at the time, that was absolutely out of the question. So I picked economics because it seemed like a very sexy major, if you will. And it involved math. And I thought, okay, this is as close to STEM at the time. It wasn't STEM, now it is. It's been actually recently designated as STEM. Uh, as close to STEM as I can get without having to really dip my feet into chemistry, physics, and all those very different sciences. And that's something I've been trying to avoid, even though my brother is a doctor. And that's a whole separate story. Very proud yeah. of him. I think I modeled myself after him in so many different ways. But uh, yeah, like everybody else, the thing to do was to go into investment banking right before the 2008 market collapse. But I, there weren't a lot of resources out there like we have now with YouTube and all these different websites, social sure. media channels, everything's being thrown at you at once now, guiding you where to go, right? At the time, no one told me, hey, you got to come in as an analyst first, do two years, then there's a certain trajectory you got to follow. So I missed oh, on a lot of things, Sam. My GPA wasn't exactly up to par with their standards at the time. So, and then 2008, what happened at that time didn't help you yet. So I got kind of pigeonholed in accounts receiving, and that's where I ended up for many years before I really decided what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's super interesting because then you're in this accounts payable role and yeah, very timely time to graduate with an economics degree right before the financial crash. But yeah, so you're in this accounts receivable role. And then you got, you went to the University of San Diego to get a master's in data science in September of 2020. I'm curious, like what led up to that decision? So let's back up a few steps before that from, I think I was very lucky in 2013. So I had a lot of different odd jobs from 2007, all the way through 2013. I yeah. had a law firm, did accounts receivable. I worked yeah. at some workers' compensation at Every little thing you could find out of the sun, pretty much just taking on jobs to make money. 
but in 2013, I consider myself lucky because I was hired by someone who truly believed in me. They gave me a lot of free reign as to what I wanted to do with on the reporting side. And they That's never cool. shot down any of my ideas. And so I really kind of just used PowerPoint to make different analytics trajectory animated trajectories with tra tracking our collection rates, things like that. And I started to feel, because I was treated very well by my yeah. manager and they kept promoting me, giving me raises, I started to feel this hunger and this itch, like this fire inside me saying, keep going, keep going. And I always say this, it all started with the VLOOKUP formula in Excel. I saw what that simple formula could do in terms of matching data. I said, gosh, you can do just this one thing, this one formula, what else can you do? You just put in an equal sign on one line. You're basically writing code. I, I want to do a lot more than that. And so I developed Sweet. this hunger for data. And I saw this ad on Facebook, Cornell University. It's a get your data analytics certificate from Cornell. And I never click on those ads because everybody knows they're all drunk. And, but <laughs> something inside of me says, click on it. I clicked on it and well, I took the program and I got my certificate and I was talking to my counselor and he said, you sound really interested in teaching because you keep asking me all these questions about, well, who's doing what in the back, on the back end, how are they grading and assessing your work? Well, do you want to teach? I said, well, now that you mentioned it, sure. And <laughs> it took a lot of persistence, but he guided me to the right place. I emailed a lot of people back and forth and. Just with a bachelor's degree, they let me teach the certificate program and I now a teacher. <laughs> and I got promoted to financial analyst at that company, started doing more analytical work. And then I realized, well, this is fun when you do it for the first 20, 30 times, but there's only so much you can do in finance on the analytics side, right? You got your yep. income statement, balance sheet, cash flow, and so many iterations of that you can do. And at least that company, that's what we were doing month over month, year over year, until I decided for the pandemic hit and what's next? That's the big question for yeah. everybody. What's next? So I had some contacts and I already got into a few programs. They were so expensive. Before 2020, the average price, if I had to estimate from the top of my head, the average price of a solid master's program was 60,000. That's a Ugh. conservative estimate. Yeah. And I said, I'm not going to, I'm a math, I'm a finance guy, grip with money. Everybody's, everybody's saying, he, you know, do it. You can finance it, take out loans. Yeah. I'm not doing that. That's just, there's no way you're going to get an ROI on that. I mean, you can, you may possible, but the chances are slim and a lot of it still depends on you. It's not a magic pill. Long For story sure. short, I contacted one of my counselors that I've been speaking to at different universities in San Diego. And he said to me, Leon, listen, you're not just trying to get a master's degree. I know you're calling me, you're interested about different master's degrees, but I know you have talked to you for a long time. You love analytics. So I'm just going to tell you straight, we're launching a master's in applied data science. And I think you should be the first to apply and never looked back since best decision I've ever made. And That's I love amazing. everything about it. Yeah. I, I think it, what's so cool about that too, is like that really just started from like your manager back in like the early tens to like basically let you work around in Excel and like you get interested to be look up and next thing you're the first student to go through this program. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not don't want to get too emotional, but uh, he he passed away. He became a mentor. He was a great guy, and I owe a lot to him because it's funny. Everybody talks about getting a college degree, and here I am with a master's degree. The, the guy never really went to college, but he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life. Uh, he's been working Excel spreadsheets, like, and he and and I'll never forget it to this day. Even to this day, when I need to learn something new, he he says, "What do you mean you don't know? Don't you know how to use YouTube?" <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about like the role that like a good manager or a good mentor has played on like your career development and like why it's important to find a good right. mentor? Absolutely. I mean, I've been on both sides of the fence. I've had destructive environments and of course, constructive ones. Uh, to speak on the destructive ones, if I had to give any advice, if you're in that situation, then I'll come around to what you're asking, right? you're in that situation, I have no real advice. I feel for you. I'm sorry. It happens. Do your best to get out of that situation. I mean, peacefully, gracefully, professionally, but, but that kind of segues into what is it, what, what are the makings of a good manager? My opinion, like I said earlier, someone who believes in you, someone who's not going to shoot your ideas down. Um, yeah. Someone that recognizes your work. For me, I've been through so much that for me, just basic human respect, basic kindness, basic acknowledgement. And I don't need to hear that I'm doing a good job all the time. I kind of know I am or when I am. And I know when I'm not. Yeah. But someone who doesn't destroy you, doesn't destroy your thoughts and ideas or questions every step they think, doesn't micromanage you. Someone who yeah. can stand up for you in a meeting and speak, not just for you, but for the team. Like a coach would in a, for a basketball team, for example. In my opinion, I think that's what makes a good manager. Yeah. And you really can feel when you do have a good manager compared to like a bad manager. Because a bad manager, it's a lot of like pointing fingers and whatnot. But a good manager is like, hey, let's figure this out together and find a solution to this problem. And the supporting thing, I think, is like the biggest thing when it comes to good managers. They want to support your personal growth and also your career growth. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious a little bit more about like data science on the job versus what they teach you in school. So you're the first one to go through this program. You do really well. You learn a lot. Of course you do. Yeah. But you also now have had a lot of roles, data science, like actual roles. So can you talk, talk to us a little bit more about what is the difference between starting school? What do they teach you in school? And what do they teach you really on the job? What do you learn? Well, they expose you to a lot. Yeah, they, they expose you to Python as a programming language, more so as a scripting language. They also feel if it's a good program, they want to be competitive. They expose you to R as well. Yep. But what they don't really tell you is that most companies don't really use R, but it's good to know it because you're practicing a dialect, a language, well, right? And you start to pick up, especially if you're new, all these methods all these different uh, lines of code, especially for data visualization or just calling a data frame, you're using pandas, NumPy, all that stuff. And in the very beginning, especially when you've never done this before in the past, if you're new to it, yeah. it's very exciting and it's easy to say, hey, look, I know how to code, right? Watch me. I, I can build a model two months. <laughs> and, and you become very confident and you start thinking, hey, look, I can do this. But the more you go through the motions, uh, the more knowledge you pick up, the more experience you pick up, the larger the data set is, 
you start to realize there are a lot of things that you just cannot know unless you have experience. Um, like for example, yeah. you, you may very well overfit the data without realizing that's one thing that can happen. You start to notice trends. So for example, if you're working with a large data set, nice and clean, which is very rare. That's not going to happen very often. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to kind of figure out how to either join the data from uh, disparate sources or how to at least filter it down. Filtering is very important. It's, it's in school. They give you a lot of clean examples to work with and kind of guide you and the homework problem set, set it up in a certain way. Whereas the business yeah. world, long and short of it is up to you to figure out what is the inclusion criteria, right? Especially if you're working in a field mm. that you can't afford to like medicine, right? The name of the columns might not be very easy to digest or read. So you have to kind of put your thinking cap on and go to the data dictionary and see what's, well, in this data dictionary, this, right, there's 40 pages of that and so many different columns that look the same. You have to kind of talk to the stakeholders, boss, to figure out, well, is this one relevant? Is that one relevant? Which one's relevant? Yeah. I've never worked with this one before. There's, we have the same column for multiple years. It's a, it's a lot. It's, it's more involved. So that's just one small example. And it's not just about getting results. They teach you in school, yeah. like how to get an AMC score, how to report performance metrics, but no one really teaches you how to say, I mean, maybe, I'm, I, I don't know, maybe there are programs that do, but I don't think there's one program that does it all. There's always some program, every program lacks in something and wins yeah. in something. So it's hard to find that balance in, and yeah, that's the, the bottom line. Let's say you're opening up your own master's program for data science, data analytics. What are like the top three things that like Leon Schmainer is going to include uh, like in this program? Well, if we can afford it, right. If we can afford it, definitely have talks from people in the industry. Well, not just talks. I mean, this is what really, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not biased here. I went to the school, but I'm telling, I'm telling it like it is university of San Diego actually has classes that are taught by industry professionals. So have more of that, include more data. And I, and I know it's tough. Everybody thinks you could just get data anywhere, but you're limited yeah. by ethical standards, guidelines. There's so many restrictions. You can't really bring data from your company, but if there's a way to anonymize it, re-anonymize it, make sure that it adheres to strict guidelines and standards that can pass muster then you know, by all means work with some data that's more real world than just Kaggle or the UCI machine learning repository, which is a great one and practice more statistical concepts like performance assessment. That, that one's huge, really understanding how to sweep through the receiver operating characteristics curve, not just, Hey, this is my AUC. It's really high, right? The area under the curve. Why is it high? How, what is the relationship between the true positive rate and the false positive rate? And why does it change as you sweep throughout the curve? Understanding how all that works is more important than just fitting out numbers. And I would really spend more time on those concepts than just kind of making it like a boot camp where it, I, I, I can only speak for what I know, right? Some schools yeah. are better than others. Like I said, I don't think any one school is ever going to be the ultimate. It really falls upon you as the student to independently go out there and learn what you feel 
you're lacking in. And, and that, I, don't th- I think not enough people do that because they expect a program to define your knowledge. It, it gives you, yeah. even a master's program only gives you a foundation. It's still on, on you to take it to the next level. Yeah. And are there ways that you would recommend people to be aware enough of what they are lacking in? Because I just think that's like a, it, it, it can be a challenging thing once you're in the day to day every day, you're not really thinking from a 10,000 foot view of what I'm doing. I mean, do you have any advice to understand the areas that you do lack in? Absolutely. I mean, for me, I found out the hard way. <laughs> I was told, you don't know this, you don't know that. I got put up uh, in one of my first jobs in front of the whiteboard and said, yeah. They said to me, uh, so Leon, do you, do you know um, how to do the da, 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 da So on and so forth. So yeah, I said, oh, really? Why don't you show us in front of everyone on the whiteboard? And that was the most humbling experience I've ever had. That's one way to find out, right? Yeah. The other way, is, <laughs> when you're in a meeting, take notes, like really take notes. Listen to what everyone's saying. If there's a term you don't know, write it down. Go study it later that day or have it planned yeah. on your reading list for the week or something like that, because chances are it's going to come up and you're going to be asked that question about that, you know, like if you're in the medical field for the first time and you don't know what a nasal cannula is, for example, write it down. That's the thing they put in the notes, write it down, learn the term. And next thing you're talking like, like a doctor, far from it, but you're talking kind of starting to speak the language and later people start asking, wow, where'd you learn all that? I listen to you. That's one way to learn. Through experience and Google, I, I hate to say it, but that's mm. the truth. You you Google yeah. literally what you just asked. What are the most relevant topics in data science in 2023? That's one way to find yeah. out. Write that down and talk talk to your mentors. Talk to your boss. Don't be afraid to ask that question. Yeah, that's. I think that's like going right off of that thread too. What I like to do if I want to identify an area that like I'm not strong in, it's like Googling something like what makes a good digital marketer and then just see 10 bullet points that are out there. Then like actually like having a real assessment to honest assessment being like, okay, like I'm maybe not paid ads or like the best things. Uh, oh, I know copy. I know social media, something like that. But it's having that honest assessment with yourself to actually identify those weaknesses. It, it has to be an honest assessment. Yeah. No, yeah. No, to your point, you know, at the time I did feel like it was a bit harsh le- learning the hard way. And you know, I have certain feelings about it, of course, but looking back, it funny to say it, but it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's like up the yeah. ultimate listen. If you're lucky, they'll tell you. Don't take it personally. They'll tell you what you don't know. You know they'll have that heart to heart with you. And And it may hurt, but... At least you know what you got to do and you go and do it and you don't give up and you have to really want it. You have to ask yourself, is this what I really want? Is this what somebody else wants? Yeah. If you want it, you just go and learn. It's simple as that. Are there other, are are there other examples that come to mind where you learn a really hard lesson and you'd like to share that or what does one or two other examples come to mind when it's like, oh, that was a really hard lesson uh, I learned. You can think of one, communication. It's so easy to say communication is key. Learn how to communicate. It's so easy to throw that around, but until Mm -hmm. there's so many different one-offs that can happen in business that you cannot control for, you cannot plan for, you cannot learn 
it's just, it happens, right? So sometimes yeah. people are difficult to communicate with. Try as well, or the nicest guy or the most professional person in the world, but they just will not give you the time of day. But your responsibility is to talk to them. Now, if your boss is friends with them, good luck. That's all I can tell you because they, they it's feel like back, back to high school. But it really is, honestly, sometimes like that. So one time I was working, I'm not going to say for which company or where this happened, but um, yeah. I had to do a project, which was like fitting a square peg into a round hole. So taking financial metrics and, or rather the opposite, taking marketing metrics that were really meant for Salesforce and fitting them into this highly proprietary CPM software uh. that I, I tried to explain to them, this is not the best solution. We, we already got it to do what we wanted to do. We're automating the financials. We're saving a lot of time uh, every month doing that. I did that for you. Maybe we can add some more um, visibility on it, some more use cases, some more different financial reports that are more nuanced. But at the end of the day, why use Salesforce when that's what Salesforce is for? Why use it here in the software? And they just weren't hearing. I had to go talk to marketing and uh, person there was never available for me and I felt like a complete fool just waiting outside the door or even after emailing that person is just constant tag you're it type of thing or they just weren't there it, it was tough and and then when I talked to my boss about that good luck your job is to talk to this person if you if you can't yeah. talk to this person yeah it's very upsetting for me but I think the lesson ultimately was and it's hard for people to admit it. When something like this happens, you have to ask yourself like, okay, how much are you willing to put up? At what, what's your breaking? Mm -hmm. And I think that's when I started thinking, maybe this isn't the best place for, because this, this is becoming a bit toss. Yeah. I'm curious to, I kind of want to shift segments. I, the toxic workplaces, I, it's really hard to be in a toxic workplace. Luckily for me, I've never had to be in one, but I know people that have, and it's Oh, it just sounds so miserable. And really the next step to doing that, a lot of people come on this podcast and say is make connections with people, network. If you want to get into a new role, network, get out of it. One thing that I want to talk to you about is like thinking outside the box when making connections. I'm just curious. So what are some of the ways that you think people could think outside the box and make connections in a, in a non-traditional way? This is totally random, but I've done something like this. And I think you just have to be like open it. to anything <laughs> you have to yeah. you could be watching a documentary and they're inter interviewing somebody in your field right what you do is you call mm. you write down the name you go to linkedin you look it up that's thinking outside the box you send a message they have chat gpt now for that i mean to help you kind of write things revise <laughs> things that's one way just make a list of companies where you want to work if you're applying for a job right as you're driving down the street see a bunch of big lead banks write those down come home apply but if you want to know who works where, there's always LinkedIn. There's always just networking events is the standard. I think we started doing those again recently. Don't be afraid to talk to people, even at the coffee shop, to see somebody's wearing yeah. a badge and they work for, uh, a lot of times it'll tell you what their position is. And just, you, you always risk rejection, right? That's a fear that people have, but... In my opinion, life is short. You only have so many, so much time. And as long as you're not doing anything uh, to hurt anyone, 
then by all means, just be polite and professional about it and take, take a chance because great things happen. I mean, I'll give you one example of what I did one time when I first started teaching. I had no teaching experience, but I know what I learned in Excel, right? And I was introduced to students at UCLA when they invited me back to judge certain presentations for economics classes that they had. And I was a panel judge and I saw certain deficiencies and I really felt and truly believed, hey, I can really help these students maximize their potential using Excel at that, at the time, before I was more advanced, before I knew how to cope. And they kind of just brushed me aside, but I was very persistent. I kept coming back to these competitions, judging, and I kept asking and I started emailing it. I wanted to see how far can I push this until they really yeah. told me, Hey, you can't do this. Just, just stop. And the funniest thing happened is like they say, be careful what you wish for. Cause it just might come true. And they said, all right, here, we talked to this professor. You'll be teaching a seminar after his class is over. Here's your assigned room number. I was like, oh my God, this is real. Now the work starts. I got to develop a lesson plan. And so good things can happen if you're open to it, to them happening. And if you're persistent up until a point, yeah. of course, you have to remain professional and exercise your best judgment at all times. There's so many different ways. I, unfortunately, I've seen it time and time again. Some people just, they're like robotic. They're very smart mathematically. <laughs> they're geniuses and they can solve a lot of complex problems, but for the life of them, for some reason, I don't know, I know what it is, but they just can't think outside the box. And I really wish, I mean, hopefully maybe this podcast will wake that up in them. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because I feel like some people, this is just a feeling, some people are just, they're so smart where they don't want to take the risk because they're doing all the calculations in their head and it's so small where it's like, why would I take that risk? Because it's so small, but great things happen when you do take risk. Right. Yeah. And I don't even see it as a risk anymore. I, I mean, I think after you've taken yeah. a few hits in life, I, people, uh, no, I say, take the hits, get hit. It's like jumping into the way I see it is like this. It's like jumping into that cold pool. It's freezing, right? You jump in and you're like, yeah. oh my God, what happens after two minutes? It's warm. That's, you don't know how to do it. Just jump into that cold pool and learn how to sweat. It's, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I always think too, is if you do really want to have a great career, you have to be able to take those risks and be able to just strike up a conversation with people. If it's through LinkedIn, just saying, Hey, I'm love your company, love your position, something like that. But you have to be able to take those risks and be able to strike up a conversation. If it goes great, great. If not great as well, you took that chat. You took that chance. I'm curious. I'm curious too, with like all your teaching positions, we're coming up here. The school year starting up here, probably less than a month for a lot of colleges and places, which is crazy to think about. Are is there something that students can do if they're entering like their senior year, their last year, whatever, to really set themselves apart to get a job after graduation? Start start working on a project, and don't tell me I have no no project to work on because it's Cavalier because it's UCI. That's an excuse. You could take that same Cavalier project, that same UCI machine learning, or whatever you find online, and read a paper on that same topic. We actually do this, believe it or not. In research, you take a paper, 
you read it, make sure that it's related to that area of interest or that data set, and then yep. go to the results section, study that results section and see if there's a formula. There usually is with the coefficients and things that you can plug in. Now, put that on your data set, apply that to your data set, multiply those same coefficients, get those probabilities and replicate their uh, results on your data set and see how they stack up to what you have. That's one way to feature engineer new information and compare perf perform their performance to what you're looking yeah. at. There's so many different ways you can iterate through different examples that come up with some of your own logic. And it's better to have, at the end of the day, five capital projects and a GitHub repo than nothing. Because that's what ends up happening yeah. to a lot of overthinkers. They end up with nothing and they're still looking for a job because they can't find that perfect project, but they're just mm -hmm. so afraid to do what others have done. Yeah. There's no shame. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is really important to get projects and like people listening, if you listen to like past episodes, like people always say projects, 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 and data analytics, data science. That is the one thing that can like truly set you apart from other candidates when applying for roles. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Are there other, are there like some projects that students did just for some like inspiration here? Are there projects that students have done in the past where it was like, oh, like that was so amazing. Like people should take inspiration from. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've seen one, a buddy of mine in my master's mm -hmm. program, he managed to secure a relationship with some PhD researcher, forget exactly what the topic of interest was, but they were able to furnish the data set and they did their whole capstone on that. And it was not from Kaggle, it wasn't from CI, but it's. Again, I, they knew how to think outside the box. They knew how to talk to people. They weren't afraid to take their chance. And the results were amazing. That's um, awesome. You were able to build an app. They deployed it. Yeah, absolutely. Then they sold to Facebook for 50 million. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but last question for you as we wind up. Yeah. This has been an awesome episode. Just, just general advice here. Um, what general advice do you have for someone that's young in their career? Let's just say they're just entering the workforce. What advice would you give to them to really stand out in their career? Whatever's in your, okay. When you wake up, whatever's in your mind, write it down. Your mind is trying to tell you something, especially as it relates to your career. You're asking your habit. A lot of people's habits are like this, right? They, they want to ask others. They go outward instead of looking inward. A lot of the, and it's okay. It's okay. Ask questions, talk to people. Not everyone's altruistic, not everyone's nice, but I hate to say it. Look, you're just going to have to deal with it. I'm sorry. There's no easy way to say it. You're going to have to learn to take the hits, take the rejections, because that's the only way and take, take whatever comes your way. But at the end of the day, write down what your thoughts are on the career and write, just keep applying. I know it's tough out there. I know there's a lot of rejection. I've been through it myself. Yep. I can't tell you when it's going to happen. I can't tell you how it happens or why it happens, why it doesn't happen, but iterate through different projects, have a process in place. So you're not doing the same thing every single day. You have to have a Google sheet, like an Excel sheet, right? 
write down where yeah. you apply, track that stuff. You want to be a data scientist and learn to track it and start building graphs and bar charts and pie charts off of that. See how many companies are injecting you, get the exact percentage month over month, what the average rate is. Um, just That's be cool. aware. You're putting that out into the universe when you start doing oh. something like that. You create awareness within yourself and it projects out. And don't be afraid to talk to people in, in your own program. Talk to your professors, ask them for help, ask them for guy, uh, ask them for a cup of coffee because people just want to talk sometimes. That's how you make authentic, genuine connections. Ask, hang out, get a cup of coffee, talk about work, talk about what they do. And don't be afraid to volunteer and, and do projects on the side, right? So if you're interested in healthcare, for example, find a research paper on the topic that interests you, for example, kidney disease or heart failure, mm -hmm. find a researcher on that front from any university. How many universities are there? Well, I don't even know. And reach out to them and see if maybe reading the paper, have they taken a, a, a machine learning approach to solving problem or building a predictive model and predicting heart rate, I'm sorry, heart failure or kidney yeah. disease and stage kidney disease, right? And if they have, great, then you could just help with the next iteration of that in some way, shape or form, or if they have it even better, it's your chance to sell yourself on that front. And so that's just thinking outside the box. You can always reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. Just be passionate about what you do and don't think so much about when it's going to happen. As long as you're doing something to stay relevant in that industry, you're already doing it. And before you know it, you'll be in it. And you won't even realize that you're already working as a data scientist. You're already getting paid. Maybe you're teaching data science and doing a whole combination of all that, but it's, it's the journey. It's the process. It's not, yes, the result on it, but what matters is falling in love with the process. I love that. And we'll end it right there. Leon, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you, Ryan.